the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Pain. Most of us, especially as we grow older, experience it. Pain accompanies injuries, overexertion, and the deterioration of the neck, spine, and certainly pain frequently accompanies arthritis. We typically accept pain as a normal part of aging, mask it often with pills, and then try to move on. But are pain and aging inextricably tied together? Next, some answers as we welcome you to Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. More information available by going to HealingHabitsNow.com. Dr. Duong, let's talk about this issue. There's a new study out that reveals 50 million Americans on average suffer from chronic pain. For many people, this chronic pain is disorienting, distracting, and quite frankly, robs them of enjoying a full quality of life. Yes, there are so many people are living in pain, and they don't seem to have the solution. So now we're going to talk about the solution, because I believe the body can heal itself. The powers that create the body heals the body from the inside out, the healing inside us. And we will see how we can do the right thing so that we can diminish our pain, so that we can live a better quality life. That's why I'm here. When we talk about pain, walk us through, if you would, some of the indicators of where most chronic pain tends to originate. Where is its source? There is always a pattern of pain. If it's coming from the lower back, if you have ever have experienced low back pain and you did an X-ray or an MRI on your lower back, where is it going to be? 90% of the time, it's usually it's going to be L4, L5, L5S1. Herniated disc, bulging disc, stenosis, foraminal encroachment, tingling numbness in your feet. That's the, some of the, the symptoms on that. That's a lower back, right? How about the neck? A lot of neck problem right now. The reason is because of technology. Computers bending the neck forward. Yeah, right? we're all like this all the time, hunched over our cell phones. Uh, the neck, and then how, um, like uh, the cell phone, the computers, reading, studying. Where's the location? If you have a neck problem and you take a neck sway, where's it coming from? There's the pattern, like I said earlier. The pattern is going to be C4, C5, C5, C6. Symptoms, tingling, numbness in your hands, headaches. So there's a pattern of the problem. Now we need to figure it out why are those an issue? What can we do to minimize their problem? Uh, minimize the degenerations, like this, like I said earlier, disc herniations, bulging disc, arthritis on that uh, C4, C5, C5, C6. What can we do to fix the problem? And of course, it's not just limited to lower back pain and upper neck and shoulder area, but oftentimes people are dealing with debilitating knee pain, maybe from an injury, could even be a sports injury from when they were in high school years and years ago. And other types of pains too, doctor, that I would suppose are associated with things like um, autoimmune disease, arthritis, things of that sort? Yes. Uh, Let's go back to the knee first. The knee, again, 
knee, people have knee replacement. The doctor said there's bone on bone. Uh, there's degeneration. Usually, another way is there's a pattern again. The pattern is on medial meniscus that's being degenerated. Arthritis on that area. So we need to figure it out. Why is it causing it? Two things that cause that issue. The first is going to be there's more loading on the medial meniscus. So that's why it's degenerate faster. There's arthritis and medial bone. There's arthritis in the bone. So medial meniscus. So we need to find, figure it out the mechanic. Why is it deteriorated? So younger people can start preparing for this and prevent the knee replacement. So that's, that's the pattern. So we need to figure it out. And then we will talk more about like, What's the cause of the problem? So there's two things. It's the, the loading force that I'm talking about that degenerate, herniated the disc, um, degenerative disc, and arthritis in the bones, okay? That leads into the stenosis of the, the problem in, in, in the vertebrae, in the spine. And the, on the knee is going to be the medial meniscus. So, and then also, that's one thing. The first thing that's caused pain is the, the loading force on that, a disc area or meniscus area. What's the second one? It's the inflammation. The inflammation that's causing your body to irritate that joint, irritate the disc. Now the disc it will degenerate faster. An example is going to be rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune conditions. That what does the autoimmune condition lead into? Inflammatory process. The inflammation will degenerate the joint better and faster for you. So. What we need to do is that we need to solve that problem, solve the loading force problem. Okay. Let's talk a bit about why this is happening, because so often we, as you're suggesting, are suffering because of bad posture, bad habits. But oftentimes, too, isn't there a sense of bad treatment here? We probably all know individuals, maybe even ourselves, we've gone to doctors, we've sought medical treatment, we've been given prescriptions for pills, maybe up to and including recommendation for surgery, and yet in spite of everything that seems to be done to try to address chronic pain, most people never seem to get better. Why is that? You never solve the problem. You never solve the problem to fix the loading force. You never solve the problem to fix the inflammation of your body. That's why the body can continue deteriorate. Like if you have like a disc hernia, disc bulging disc, if you have like injections, temporary is blocking the pain. What's the next thing? The next step is going to be surgery. You cut off the disc, but what happened to the rest of their loading force? There's still loading force happening on that same area. So people have surgery. What's the next step? It's going to be fusions. That's, you never solve the problem. Solve the loading force first. Solve the information so now the patients can return their health back to normal. Today, a look at healing habits in studio with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. More information available by going to healinghabitsnow.com. So oftentimes, let's use, for example, the case of arthritis. People that are suffering from arthritis, most oftentimes a doctor will prescribe anti-inflammatories, yes. pain pills, yes. and people say, I marginally feel better, but my, my range of motion is gone, and my ability to enjoy the things that I did, to, to have the kind of hobbies that I used to have completely disappear. Now, here's an exception. Let's give a listen to a testimony by one of your patients that suffered from this very issue, that of rheumatoid arthritis. I came to Dr. Duong. August 5th of this year, due to the fact that I've had rheumatoid arthritis for 22 years, along with low thyroid, and haven't really gotten any results from the regular medical field. So a friend of mine referred me to Dr. Duong, 
And the improvements that I've had in less than two months is less pain. I have a lot more energy. I am sleeping through the night. My meds have been decreased by half. I am now losing weight and I feel great. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Dr. Duong for other people to know that he teaches you how to make good changes that will help your body to heal itself rather than putting a Band-Aid on it like most doctors. He loves to help people, teach them so they can be healthy and whole. And I wanted to also say that in the two months that I've been going to Dr. Duong, I've had more positive gains in my health than I've had with a rheumatoidologist in 22 years. So I highly, highly recommend people that are not getting the result with their regular doctor to see Dr. Duong. He's wonderful. Doctor, that's an amazing story of a patient of yours that was suffering from another of maladies, but most certainly, and one that's very common as we age, and that is rheumatoid arthritis. And as she indicates, she'd seen other physicians, no answers whatsoever. Um, yours, of course, has been a very different approach. Let's talk a bit about what exactly you're doing that's different from other specialists. I focus on the natural healing. God gives us the power to heal the healings inside us already. We work with this healing and go and work on the basic so the body can heal. The first thing that we do is to reducing the inflammatory process on her system. Autoimmune, RA is what? Rheumatoid arthritis. We know that's autoimmunity. Your immune system is attacking the joint. That's why there is pain, inflammation in the, the system for sure. How do we know for sure? Genetic testing. So we did genetic testing to find out the issue, the inflammatory process, the detoxification can lead into an issue that um, affecting inflammation as well. So we know where is the issue coming from scientifically, understanding the inflammatory process, give her the natural solution for the inflammations. Okay, you need to listen to what I have on the previous recording, like how to take care of the inflammatory process how to take care of, of, of your health. There's two ways that you can take care of it. The first is the structures. You have to take care of the structures, work on the structures, this, the human frame. And the other one is diet. How do you fix your diet is if you know for sure, is through the genetic testing, we, now we know uh, for sure when to give you the right supplement at the right time for the right condition so now the body can function better. So proper diet, proper exercise, proper habits, really, as one of the key effects that allows you to begin to encourage the body to heal itself. And then as you're suggesting, specifically looking at not just what the symptoms are and treating the symptoms, essentially saying, let's mask it, feed them a bunch of pain pills, but really getting to the root cause of why is this individual suffering the deterioration, suffering from the pain, and then attacking it right at the root cause. We need to find out the root cause and then go back to the basic. The basic is working with your body. For example, my patients, is I always train them the basic is what? Breathing. When you breathe, you oxygenate your blood. You make your blood more alkaline. You need your body to be more alkaline. So the breathing techniques, the exercise, eating right, do the genetic, I'll coach the patient what supplement they, they can take correctly, accurately, for sure, because we have that available. 
that's the way that we help the patients. So whether you're suffering from neck, shoulder, upper back, lower back pain, knee pain, arthritis in the joints and hips, or other autoimmune diseases and their accompanying pain, why not call today and find out how developing healing habits in your life can literally lead you to a life free from pain? At the present moment, Dr. Duong is offering a very special offer for our listeners. It's a special consultation, a $287 value for just $47. That's right. You heard me correctly. Dr. Duong offering a $47 consultation valued at $287 for the first eight callers who qualify. Right now, pick up the phone and call 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Or information available by going to HealingHabitsNow.com. That's HealingHabitsNow.com. Or call 510-818-1668. And this is really an amazing offer, doctor, for the first eight callers to come in for a complete checkup consultation, an opportunity to really get an understanding as to what is underlying this pain, the debilitating lifestyle, and then hopefully get to that root cause and get people back on the road to good health and healing habits. The healing habits work on the basic. You have to work on the basic so that you can create a habit so you can get rid of this pain and enjoying life. So get on the road to good health today. Call 510-818-1668. Be one of the first eight callers to qualify, and you'll receive this $47 consultation, a $287 value for just $47. 510-818-1668. More information available by going to HealingHabitsNow.com. HealingHabitsNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If these statistics are to be believed, and there's no reason to doubt them, 80% of violations of religious freedom today are directed towards Christians. And yet, ironically, well, it captures the news once in a while, as our guest today, John Allen, suggests. If it's a major firebombing of a church in Pakistan that kills upwards of 100 people, there's a chance that might make it to the news. But for the most part, a lot of these stories simply go without ever being covered or talked about in the West. Now, the fact that two-thirds of the world's 2.3 billion Christians live outside of the West. I suppose that says something, John, for those of us in the West. In other words, if it doesn't affect us or it doesn't affect me, it probably isn't important. Well, I think that's part of the picture. I think another part of the picture, Craig, in terms of why persecution of Christians struggles to to sort of break through the noise, uh, and and you and I are both media people. I mean, we understand the power of narratives in, in shaping the way the media approaches a story. The narrative about Christianity in the West, uh, which is badly outdated, but but still around, uh, is that Christianity is this big, you know, massively powerful, wealthy, influential social institution, which makes it very difficult for a lot of people in our business to get their minds around the idea that Christians could actually be the victims of persecution. But as you indicate, that doesn't do justice to where Christians are today. Two-thirds of them, as you say, live outside the West. A solid majority of them are impoverished, living below the poverty line, hundreds of millions of them in extreme poverty. They are often also members of ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minorities, so they're doubly or triply at risk, and they often live in some pretty bad neighborhoods. 
Uh, you add all that up, it's no surprise that Christians often find themselves in harm's way. So what I think what we have to do is we have to change the narrative about who Christians today are and about where they are. Let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, Again, you know, uh, I think from sort of historical Western uh, Christian viewpoint, we think of the... uh, the roots that Christianity in the United States, for example, has coming from Europe, and we see Europe and North America as kind of the two um, strongest regions of the world that enjoy some of the largest populations of Christians. That, in fact, is a dynamic that has been changing. If we look at parts of China, we mentioned earlier, and Africa, they've got some of the highest growth rates of Christianity. In fact, if the government statistics are to be believed, in a place like communist China, more than 5,000 people a day come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That's a pretty significant number. And yet, I think you're right. Part of the problem is we don't really understand who the profile of today's Christian is. Well, that's right. We have a kind of mindset about Christianity that is sort of stuck somewhere in the in the 18th century. Uh, I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, China, you're quite right, uh, is a phenomenal growth story for Christianity. I mean, the, in 1949, at the time of the Communist takeover, which was the last year that the, there was a national census that included religion, there were fewer than a million Christians in China. Uh, the estimate was about 750,000. Today, the kind of mid-range estimate is that there are 100 million. I mean, that's an absolutely astronomic explosion of Christianity. In fact, some projections are that by the middle of the 21st century, China will be perhaps the largest Christian nation on Earth, if not certainly in the top three. And, of course, the irony there is that those are largely government numbers. They tend to always downplay these things. And, you know, when it comes to the largest portion of the population of the church there, the bulk of it is underground. I mean, they don't recognize the papacy. They don't recognize um, evangelical Christianity there. And so imagine if you were able to take a head count of the, the church, both above ground and underground, how staggering those numbers might look? Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, and you mentioned Sub-Saharan Africa. Christianity in Sub-Saharan Africa in just the second half of the 20th century uh, had a growth rate of 6,708%. I mean, almost 7,000%. I mean, you know, I, I don't care what line of work you're in. I mean, if you've got a 7,000% growth rate, that ain't too bad. You know, I mean, Africa has become the single great, single most uh, site of uh, the most explosive growth of Christianity anywhere in the world. Now, you know, as Christians, we would rejoice in all of that, but, but the truth of it is, Christianity is growing precisely in those places where it is most oppressed. And of course, those two things are not unrelated. I mean, the, the ancient line from Tertullian that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the faith, that's as true in the 21st century as it was in the 2nd. Uh, but it also means that an increasing share of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are in harm's way, and they need our solidarity. Is part of the issue here, too, John, perhaps, that, uh, and, I, and I mean this slightly facetious and yet at the core, it's probably true, that these areas that are experiencing some of the most phenomenal <coughs> pardon me, growth are, are in badly need of a public relations firm? I mean, for example, the Church of Scientology, they would, they would like you to believe that they have millions of adherents around the globe when it, it, it's more like in the hundreds of thousands, and yet it's all generally about how you tell the story. The problem is that there's no real mouthpiece, so to speak, on behalf of the persecuted church in sub-Saharan Africa or in places like communist China. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is that those natural mouthpieces that we do have tend to have a built-in bias for telling only part of the story. I mean, the political right in the United States, for example, will often jump all over the persecution of Christians uh, in Muslim countries because it serves their foreign policy agenda, 
but they go strangely quiet when it comes to the fate of Palestinian Christianity inside Israel. Meanwhile, the political left uh, will play up the fate of Palestinian Christians, but they don't want to talk about what's going on, say, in Venezuela or in other countries in Cuba, uh, other countries that have leftist governments. So both of the, the factions that tend to dominate public conversation in the United States tell us only part of the story. Well, and we ourselves have been... Like Christian persecution, I try to puncture... Uh, is that it somehow that raising this issue somehow benefits either the, the left or the right. The truth is, persecution of Christians is an equal opportunity employer. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the problem here, too, I think, John, is the fact that we ourselves, uh, as a nation, have also been contributory to this problem. I mean, for example, with, with great uh, pomp and circumstance, we, we applauded the ouster of Hosni Mubarak of uh, Egypt, and yet we've spent little time focusing on the plight of Coptic Christians there uh, who are being persecuted in a very wholesale fashion. Then, of course, there's the great march on um, uh, Iraq, and uh, I, I would defy anybody to be able to put together a million Christians anywhere in the the nation of Iraq today, that they've all been pretty much eradicated and have run to other uh, neighboring countries because, at least under Saddam Hussein, while he was certainly not a nice guy, uh, was a secularist and largely left the, the church in Iraq alone. That has not been the case since the so-called regime change. Well, that's absolutely right. And if you talk to Syrian Christians today, they will tell you that they are terrified that exactly the same thing is going to happen to them. That is, a police state is going to fall under Western pressure. What's going to follow will be chaos, in which all minorities will be at risk, but in the front lines of those at risk will be Christians who will be carrying bullseyes around in their backs. And in one of the things that I, one of the arguments I try to make in this book, when the question comes up, what can we do to help these persecuted Christians? One thing we can do is make sure that their voices are heard in our foreign policy debates before we drop bombs someplace. We might want to ask the people who have to live in that neighborhood, and in particular the Christians, what the consequences of doing so are going to be. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that to, to erase the political blind spot, and we'll talk about that a bit more when we come after uh, come back after a time out, but, you know, it, it's been interesting that, uh, for example, we will look at a country, a major oil trading partner like Saudi Arabia, and we are quick to criticize them um, for their treatment of women's rights over there, and yet we are hard-pressed to say anything about the way they treat Christians in Saudi Arabia. We'll talk a bit more about that political blind spot and what we can do to help better eradicate it. Our visit today is with best-selling author John Allen. His new book, by the way, an absolute page-turner. And if this is a topic that at all touches your heart, and I certainly hope that it is, certainly down through the years we've talked about this topic almost ad nauseum because I believe it's so critically important. I want to urge you to get a copy of John's new book. It is published by Image Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those still exist somewhere, don't they? Or through Amazon.com. Let's take a quick time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. John Allen, The Global War on Christians. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Of all of my trips overseas, I think the one that stands in my mind the clearest, and perhaps the most indelibly, was one of many trips into China, having an opportunity to meet a woman who at the time probably was 80, 82 years old. And I recall first being ushered into this small room that was a living room of hers, 
um, in a fairly nondescript um, section of Beijing of basically uh, large apartment buildings. And as we sat down and began to uh, converse, I noticed that her hands were badly gnarled, uh, reminiscent of somebody who perhaps has a severe diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. You see people that have their hands that are so knotted up and crippled and almost to the point of being deformed, and that typically is a sign of the impact of rheumatoid arthritis. So with that assumption, we began our conversation, and as we visited, slowly the story came out that during the time of the um, revolution that took place in the 1960s, the so-called Cultural Revolution, where a Maoist came in and uh, decided that they were going to take everyone in the country that was educated, that he either had been a doctor or a professor or a school teacher, put them all out into farmland so they could be re-educated through labor and essentially turn over running of the operation of the country to uneducated peasants, that in the middle of that Cultural Revolution, there was a major clash that Christians found themselves in the middle of. At the time, in communist China in the 1960s, um, organized prosecution of Christians was even more severe then than it is today, so much so that merely possessing a Bible could land you in jail. The story emerged of this woman that hearing that the Revolutionary Guard had been making their way through her block, she had a Bible. She, of course, was a Christian. She took that Bible, wrapped it in plastic, and buried it in the ashes of her fireplace where she did her cooking. Unfortunately, much to her chagrin, the communist authorities were far more thorough than she expected, and after a thorough search of her home, they eventually uncovered the Bible hidden in plastic in the ashes of the chimney. When they found it, she intervened and quickly snatched the Bible back out of their hands and said that this was the most important link she had to her relationship with God and to, by all means, please not take her Bible. Well, the revolutionary soldiers argued with her, and finally they said, Woman, you either give us that Bible or we will beat it out of your hands. And beat it, they did. In fact, the condition of her hands when we met her in her early 80s had nothing to do with rheumatoid arthritis. She was, in fact, perfectly healthy. The terrible deformity of her hands was because she vowed not to let loose of her most prized possession, God's Word, and as a result, they took a club and so badly beat her hands that they were horrifically deformed even 40 years after this event took place. This story left an indelible impression upon me meeting her because her story, while seemingly unique to the Western ear, in fact is demonstrative of what is in many parts of the world normative Christianity, and normative by that I mean the sense of persecution that Christians face. In fact, in many parts of the world today, the model of Christianity that you will encounter, whether you're in parts of Africa or the Middle East or Asia, looks much like the conditions that Christians were facing in the first century church, being persecuted simply because you name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some would argue that today there is seemingly a systematic global war on Christians, though it's not often talked about in the mainstream media. You won't hear it discussed on the 6 o'clock news. It won't be the topic of discussion around the water cooler tomorrow morning. And yet, 
it happens. It is happening multiple times per day in upwards of what some report to be almost 130 nations across the world. Joining me tonight is senior Vatican analyst for CNN and celebrated author John Allen, who's penned a new book called The Global War on Christians. John, great to have you on the program tonight. Craig, it's a pleasure to be with you. We'll see if we can avoid some of those nettlesome, erroneous errors. Yes, <laughs> indeed. We'll just keep our facts factual tonight. Yeah. John, one of the big facts that you share inside the pages of this new book is the fact that there is an unprecedented level of, I guess, systematic in some levels, in some ways, certainly systematic by that meaning that it is either an institutional attack on the rights and religious freedoms of Christians by governments, in the case of communist China or Vietnam. In other cases, Christians falling victim and uh, becoming uh, on the receiving side of persecution simply because they are Christians and not of some other religion. Uh, For example, uh, what happens to people who convert from Islam to Christianity in countries like Saudi Arabia and others. Your book essentially takes us through every part of planet Earth and is kind of a glimpse into what is sadly a best-kept secret, and that is just how widespread the attack on Christians in the world today is. Yeah, that's right, Craig. I mean, I think our media does a creditable job of bringing isolated and scattered episodes of anti-Christian violence to us. I mean, you know, if if a church is bombed in Pakistan, or if Christians are brutalized in Nigeria by the Boko Haram, we might hear about it. But what is never supplied uh, in those reports is the context. And the context is... These are not simply isolated incidents. These are part of a a broad global pattern. Now, I mean, to be clear, Christians are not the only group out there whose whose rights are threatened, but I I think they are the group whose story is least told. Uh, And they are those, statistically speaking, who are most often in the firing line. I mean, the the estimate, uh, the low-end estimate for the number of Christians killed every year around the world for their faith is 9,000. The high-end estimate is 100,000 which means somewhere between 1 and 11 Christians are being killed every hour of every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is a global pandemic. This global pandemic, of course, um, is not altogether under wraps. We know that annually the U.S. State Department puts out a report on religious persecution around the globe. Sadly, five of the top uh, ten biggest um, offenders in this arena also happen to be some of the top five U.S. trade partners. Uh, countries like uh, communist China, for example, where uh, religious persecution there is not necessarily at the hands of, of fellow Chinese as much as it is uh, systematic and organized by the state. How widespread is this sort of institutionalized level of persecution against Christians? Well, it's sort of a bewildering cocktail of forces out there that, that put Christians in harm's way. I mean, ranging from various forms of religious radicalism, not just Muslim radicalism, by the way, uh, but in India, there was a rising tide of anti-Christian hatred being f- fueled by uh, radical uh, Hinduism. Uh, in places like Myanmar and Sri Lanka, we're talking about radical Buddhism. But you also have to throw into the mix state-sponsored uh, anti-Christian hostility. Uh, and, of course, China would be the leading example, but not the only one. You could also look to, to states such as North Korea, uh, Eritrea, Belarusia. I mean, basically, any place there's a police state that sees religious minorities as a threat to its hold on power. Uh, You also have to throw into the mix uh, corporate interests in some parts of the world that don't like the stands that Christians take in defense of social justice. 
uh, drug gangs around the world that don't like the, the stands Christian ta- Christians take against the drug trade. I mean, I- the, the list of, of potential oppressors uh, of Christians and other minority groups uh, is depressingly long, Craig. And sadly, for many of us in the West, as I say, and you pointed this out uh, throughout the book, The Global War on Christians, not that it never gets reported, but it's typically underreported or not contextualized. Uh, For example, I had a trip many years ago, first one into Indonesia, and we were treated to tours of burned-out sections, literally block after block after block of homes and businesses that had been destroyed. And we were told that it had been part of a 1993 through 95 purge of Christians, my militant Muslims there, who were um, big supporters of the Suwarto regime. And this group of probably 15 journalists, we looked at each other and said, now, wait a minute. Why don't I recall hearing anything about this? Well, the fact of the matter was that it was very well kept under wrap and apparently wasn't exciting enough to be covered by mainstream global news sources and so therefore it remained a very quiet secret, a secret to everyone except, of course, the families of those in Indonesia that lost their lives. This kind of a story repeated over and over and over again. Why is it that we don't hear more about this? We'll get into that part of the story. John Allen Jr. with us tonight. His book is called The Global War on Christians, dispatches from the front lines of anti-Christian persecution. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, when we think of the global war on Christians, and I will tell you, having spent time with these people in everywhere from North Korea to Vietnam to communist China and parts of the Middle East that I can't even mention, to a person they've all reminded us, as I've said, you know, as I go home to America, what should I be telling fellow believers? They've all said to a person, don't forget us, please pray for us. Oddly, none have asked for a cessation of the persecution. I think that's largely because there's there's a degree of spiritual maturity to understand that as we see outlined in the the Book of Acts, and certainly historically in the first century church, um, persecution is kind of a normative Christianity. In fact, what we enjoy in the West is a very different type of Christianity, certainly than what uh, the founding fathers of Christendom went through uh, all those years ago. That said, though, there are more things that we can and should be doing than just praying for them. And as John Allen on details inside of his new book, The Global War on Christians, um, we have a political blind spot on this topic, John, sadly. And I mentioned before the break, I always find it interesting how we'll consider Saudi Arabia to be one of our major trading partners. It certainly is when it comes to the commodity called oil. We will whisper a comment or two regarding, oh, something concerning human rights and the way women are treated there, but largely have nothing to say about the way the kingdom of Saudi Arabia treats Christians. Do we need to change this? Well, of course we need to change it. Uh, and by the way, Saudi Arabia is a, is a fascinating case because, you know, when we look at Christianity in the Middle East, we tend to think of it as an endangered species. And, of course, you're absolutely right. You've mentioned the, the, the way the church in Iraq has been gutted, uh, the threats faced by the Coptic Christian community in Egypt, Syria, other parts of the map. Uh, you know, the, the estimate is that, that Christians were almost 20% of the population in the Middle East at the, in the middle of the 20th century, and uh, today they're around 12, and the projection is by mid-century they'll be 6. People talk about an exodus out of the region, and yet in Saudi Arabia, 
there is a rapidly growing Christian community. There are now an estimated almost two million Christians inside the kingdom, uh, a million and a half of them being Catholics. Uh, and that they're not native Arabs, they're not native Saudis. These are basically so-called guest workers, you know, Filipinos, uh, Koreans, uh, Vietnamese, Nigerians, Lebanese, uh, and others who have been drawn to work in the domestic service industries and the oil and gas business, uh, who are uh, basically three times discriminated against, one as impoverished, basically indentured servants, two uh, as lower-class ethnic minorities, and three as Christians. And I think on all three of those scores, we ought to be pressing Saudi Arabia to do a better job. Another case is um, North Korea. Now, I know North Korea is a bit of a sticky wicket, as the saying goes, because we're dealing with issues concerning uh, nuclear weapons there, which has been an ongoing battle and uh, and certainly one that will no doubt last for a long time to come. And yet even as Dennis, is it Dennis Rodman that's been in and out of the country, I think Dennis Rodman, uh, that's been flitting in and out of Saudi Arabia That's and concerning true. Kim Jong-un as one of his best basketball buddies. And yet nothing is ever said about the fact that just simply possess a Bible in North Korea comes with a sentence of death. Well, yes. I mean, the, the anti-Christian animus in North Korea is so grotesque that if you even have a Christian grandparent, you are disqualified from holding senior office in the military, you're disqualified from political life, you're disqualified from leadership positions in industry. Uh, there are tens of thousands of Christians in North Korea who are languishing in what amount to religious concentration camps. Uh, tens of thousands more have been disappeared over the years. Uh, it is a nightmare, which is why every year, and of course there are organizations out there that rank countries in terms of how hostile they are to Christians, North Korea routinely finishes in first place. I actually, I, I almost hesitate to talk about North Korea in some ways, because it can seem so uh, surreally hostile to Christianity that people might think it's a, a kind of unique case. The truth is, North Korea is merely the most grotesque example of what is truly a global problem. Indeed so. I mean, and I've shared with listeners on this program the challenges that I've had traveling in and out of some of these countries, and at one point uh, narrowly became a guest of the uh, uh, of, of the of uh, Vietnam because of uh, involvement with Christians there. I mean, the the issues that you speak to inside of the global war on Christians are very real issues, and I'm delighted, John, that you've in such a concise fashion given voice to. Uh, these fellow believers around the planet. I guess the, the big question I leave you with is, in terms of response, I, we mentioned earlier certainly to pray for them is, is first and foremost. What else can we do? How can we better engage um, on a political level some of these issues that's not our direct responsibility but our elected officials in Washington, D.C.'s responsibility to say and do something about well, one, uh, in, in terms of the humanitarian level, we can support those organizations that are now and have been for years trying to deliver aid to Christians who are on the, on the firing line. I mean, in the Catholic world, there are groups like the Catholic Near East Welfare Association, Aid to the Church in Need. In the Protestant world, there's uh, open doors and, and like-minded organizations. So reach out to those folks and, uh, and support them, too. Uh, I think we can uh, do everything we can to raise consciousness about this issue. Uh, I mean, you know, God bless our Jewish brothers and sisters. If anywhere in the world today a swastika is spray-painted on a synagogue, by tomorrow they will have raised the alarm in a way that the world simply can't miss. I think we Christians can steal a page from their playbook. Uh, and third, as I said earlier, I think we can demand that, uh, that our leaders listen to the voices of, of minorities, including Christians on the ground, 
uh, in our foreign policy calculations. I mean, I, I frankly think it's unconscionable that we could have been on the brink of going to war in Syria without stopping to think how that might affect the people who have to live with the aftermath of it. Uh, and so on all those levels, uh, I think there's a great deal we can do. Absolutely. And you mentioned some of these fine organizations. Uh, Dr. John Wombrandt, who had been a guest in this program many years ago, uh, his organization, Voice of the Martyrs, has also done a lot sure, to, to raise great. awareness. And, and all good organizations, and certainly ones that, as uh, John Allen points out, we need to be supporting. Uh, we need to be sensitizing our representatives, as he points out. You know, it's one thing to say we're going to go in and drop bombs or, you know, uh, put the bad guys out of business. But there are often significant consequences that come to all of that. I mean, uh, if we could understand how the church in Iraq has just been torn to shreds because of U.S. military involvement over there, would we rethink that position? I'd like to hope so. Much to pray about. It's, again, a fantastic book. And, John, we hope to get you back on again soon when we can spend some more time. John Allen, author of The Global War on Christians, Dispatches from the Front Lines of Anti-Christian Persecution, the newly published book, again, um, by Image Press, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.